You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., episode number 349. The one constant that I can tell you is you make your money in real estate when you hold. Not when you buy, not when you sell, it's when you hold. This is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. Investor Grit presents Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling with your hosts, Tom Kroll and Cody Hoffheim. Hey guys, welcome to another amazing episode of Wholesaling Inc. I'm so excited to be with you here today. I've got a great guest, someone who has done 63 deals this year. He's doing amazing, big, big deals consistently. We are going to put him in the hot seat. We are going to pick his brain. We're going to figure out exactly how he is doing it so that you can have the same exact success so that you can do it and get these kind of deals too. So I'm really excited about that. If you don't know what wholesaling is, wholesaling is simply the art of consistently finding discounted property. It doesn't matter what your exit strategy is. If you can get good at finding discounted properties, you can find financial freedom. So our guest today is Jason Lewis. He is in Utah and he is absolutely crushing it. We're going to be doing a deal review of two of his uh, deals that he's done this year, which is going to be amazing because you guys know me, right? We're going to we're going to dive deep. We're going to get right to the meat and potatoes and figure out what he's doing and exactly how he is doing it. And he's actually holding a lot of properties too. He now has six doors that he's holding for cash flow and he's cash flowing around $10,000 a month. And I think that's net. We're going to find out more, but I am really excited about that because he is just exploding and we've got to tie him down for a minute and find out how he's doing. So let's get ready. So Jason, can you hear me? Yes, I can. All right. Jason, it's such an honor to have you on the show. You guys, Jason and I, we both were in CG together for a while, which is which is awesome. You're a good friend and I appreciate you taking the time from your day to do this podcast with us and share your information. I know you're also a student of TTP, Brent Daniels product. So very, very cool. Woo. Talk to people. Woo-woo. I love it. And uh, also of Todd Tobeck of uh, some of the stuff he's done. And we're going to be talking about that. So Jason, we're going to get into meat potatoes. Before we do, can you just give everyone a really quick summary about who you are, how you got started, but make it fast because we want to get right to how we're going to be able to do the deals that you do. So tell us, what do we need to know about you? Okay. So I'm Jason. I'm in the Salt Lake City market. I also do some marketing for other people in other states, but we can go into that uh, another time. I've been in it on my own for two years, but been in the industry for seven. Graduated college with a degree in radiation therapy and realized that that was not for me. And so started in this. And yeah, I eat wholesale and flip. I keep a few rentals. And uh, my main marketing channels that work well are Mail, cold calling, relationships, online, and texting. That is a lot. So let's deep dive it. Let's go. Here we go. All right. So number one, I know you are doing a lot of stuff and you're doing it very successfully. Obviously, you've got uh, 63 deals this year. We've got two HUDs of two deals that we're going to review. And I am really excited about that. So let's just go with the first deal, your pick. We're going to start this episode by really deep diving You can choose which of the two you'd like to start with, but tell us a little bit about this first deal. How did you find uh, this deal that we're going to review right now? All right. So this first deal, 
I found by doing exactly what Brent says. Nothing creative, nothing special. We okay. drove for dollars. We found the house. We called the settler and then went out and met with them and uh, got the contract signed. Okay. So let's break that down a little bit. So you went, did you do the driving for dollars yourself? I didn't. Nope. So I did not do the driving or the appointment myself. Okay. So let's talk about that. So, so who is doing your driving for dollars for you? So I have a couple of local people doing driving for dollars. So I find good luck with uh, high school students. Okay. This is um, so like early college students. This is great. So I want to know everything about that, Jason, because I know there are busy people listening who do not have the time to go driving for dollars, especially if they live in big counties and they can't do it. They have full-time jobs. Tell me, how do you do that? How much are you paying them? How do you compensate them? What does that look like? Do you have to worry about insurance for their car while they're driving? Do they use any tools like deal machine while they're doing it? Can you kind of give me some of the details about how these guys and, and girls are finding your deals by driving for dollars for you? Yeah, you bet. And fantastic question. So while yes, I'm definitely no Zach Booth, I definitely love driving for dollars. Uh, and I've helped some of my friends in their other markets with driving for dollars too. And the one other thing I wanted to add with it with finding them is I've just posted ads for them. And in a lot of other markets, my very favorite, best driving for dollars people, and we'll, we'll hire somebody full time, like 40 hours a week, just go and drive for dollars for us. And the people that consistently work out the best are Uber or Lyft drivers that realize they don't like people. <laughs> as, okay. as crazy as that sounds. So they love driving. They're in the experience of driving around all day. But if you're an Uber or a Lyft driver, you know, to get tipped well, you have to like make conversation and, and be friendly and everything else. So I just like anything, it's marketing, you know, posting ads and things like that, bring a bunch of people in. And then that's kind of my like target favorite person is someone that has done Uber or Lyft that isn't super social. Okay, so, so so first of all, where do you post these ads? So Craigslist and all local hiring sites. So like in Utah, we have a local hiring site that a lot of people use called KSL. But whatever your local hiring sites are, that's exactly what I would use. Can you send me a, a screenshot or an example of an ad so I, I can put it into the show notes for everybody? You bet. We've got a great ad. Okay. Uh, Matt on my team produced a fantastic ad that I'd be happy to share. Woo! All right. We're getting into the good stuff. All right. Now, how do you compensate these people? So it varies per area. So I, how I come up with compensation is I kind of look at what DoorDash and Uber Eats and people like that are paying, and I wind up in that range. So in, for example, in Idaho and Utah, I'm as inexpensive as 10 to $12 an hour versus like in Bay Area, I would be like 18 to $20 an hour there. But somewhere between 10 and 20 is where you fall in. Um, I've done it both ways where I will let them, where I will reimburse them for their miles. Okay. And I guess you don't pay them per lead or per compensation on the deal or anything like that. I do not. I am just hourly. You um, also mentioned Zach Booth when you, you kind of just said that quickly. Did you take Zach's course about how to drive for dollars in, in a scalable way? I did not. So Zach and I started about the same, we're, we're kind of learning driving for dollars at about the same time. That said, I've talked to people that have, and I've heard that his course is absolutely fantastic and I would highly suggest it. I have done the same and I feel the same way. I will put a link to Zach Booth's course in the show notes. He guys, what he does is if, if you're not going to be driving for dollars yourself, just using deal machine or another tool, he actually will go in and show you how to build a team around driving for dollars and just generate a ton of apps 
either locally or virtually, which is really, really cool and uh, could be a massive channel. That's Zach Booth, B-O-O-T-H-E. And if you are interested in Deal Machine, use the code Rhino, R-H-I-N-O, Rhino, and you'll get Deal Machine for the cheapest price on the planet. I use Deal Machine. David Lecko is a good friend. I highly suggest him. I absolutely agree. David Lecko is a good friend and a good guy and a good person, and he's got a great application there. Awesome. Okay, so... The technology behind it is fantastic. Oh, the best. Yeah, very easy to use. Okay, so now we know how you found the deal. You said you then went and met with the seller. Tell us a little bit more about that. How did you meet with the seller? Did you skip trace him and call him on the phone or send him direct mail or what did that look like? So skip trace them and then I had one of my cold callers call them on the phone and then my acquisition manager went and got the home under contract. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. I love it. Okay, so you put it under contract and now on this particular one, did you you guys actually purchase this home and then resold it? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So this was a seller. So in Utah, assignments can get a little bit sticky. But even before that, so my feeling is in wholesale properties, we're here to provide a service. And our service is that people are choosing to trade equity for convenience. And yes. so this was a case where the seller wanted time after to stay in, in the property to be able to move at their own pace and not have to stress about it. And so I, I'm different than others in this, but I believe that it's my responsibility to make sure that that convenience is seen through for them. And I, so whenever I have these situations, especially on big spreads, I will buy them, let them get out, and then I'll send it to my list. I think it's it's really important what you just said is I always describe it as a pawn shop that sellers yep. are looking to exchange speed and convenience for a low price. You said essentially the same thing. I think that's really important, guys, to keep this in perspective because wholesaling is a service. So don't be afraid of losing Mm -hmm. a deal. Always be brutally honest with the seller. Always be leaving, right? ABL from Oren Clef from um, Flip the Script book, one of the best books ever written. So yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. So you buy the home. Now, a lot of people listening, they're going to say, yeah, but you know, Jason, I don't have money to buy a home, especially in Salt Lake City where homes are expensive. It's kind of like more like an LA, uh, San Diego, not quite, but it's they're not cheap. How did you get the money for the home or did you buy it with your own cash or do you use a money lender or what does that look like? So in this case, I used a private money lender. It was a friend that had extra money, but I have used hard money lenders. I've used private money lenders. Uh, and then I part of it was my own cash. I choose to have lower leverage and lower cost capital, but I know of lenders out there that will go all the way up to nothing down. Yeah, I agree. And I just want to, you tell me, Jason, if you agree with this, when you think of like, hey, I don't have the money and who the heck is going to lend it to me? Once you go and look for the money, it is readily available. Would you not agree that getting money for deals yeah. is very One, simple? 100%. So I've found at different times in the market, different parts of this whole process are hard, right? Right. And, and right now, finding money is not one of the hard parts. In 2009, And 10, finding money was a challenge. That was one of the big things that was preventing investors from being successful. But in 2019, my opinion is finding money is very easy. Construction labor is the harder thing to find now. I am lucky I never have to deal with that because I have no interest in real estate. I only uh, like what it can do for me, but I have no interest in it. So very cool. So, and guys, one thing that we use in the tribe is uh, our contact is Matt Bell. I'll put his information if you need money for a deal, if you need proof of funds, if you need transactional lending. He is phenomenal. He's nationwide. He's super cheap and he lends not on you, but on the deal, which is really great because if the deal is a stinker, 
he won't give you money. So that's kind of like a way to just kind of secretly have somebody else vet your deals, which is a whole nother topic, a whole nother podcast. Okay, so here's my number one question. I love Matt Bell. Oh, He's my friend yeah. as well. He's Matt Bell. Like, Matt Bell's great. I would add my strong endorsement to Matt Bell. You guys, there you go. Any, and, and this is somebody, I'm in Florida. Jason is in Utah. We both know Matt Bell. He is one of the best for wholesalers, especially that proof of funds, transactional lending, and vetting the deal. Those three aspects alone are absolutely invaluable. So here's what we would say to or what I want to do now is just get a little bit better idea. So you bought the home. Did you put it on MLS? No. So one thing that I do like better about buying a home and then marketing it after is I can do a much more robust version of marketing. So putting it on the MLS is an option. That said, I have a big enough cash buyers list and I've gotten good enough at wholesaling that I can typically do as well or better without putting them on the MLS. But if I were brand new and small and had a smaller cash buyers list, like a lot of our listeners, and I was buying it anyways, I would definitely look at putting it on the MLS. Got it. Okay. So I love this deal. You buy it, you sell it. How much did you make on it? So I made about 58,000. Woo! 58. I'm ringing the victory bell for that one, guys. You guys, that is phenomenal. Jason, $58,000. You know, I know you do a lot of deals. You know, if you're listening, wholesaling is hard. It probably won't work for you. It's going to take a lot of grit. It's going to take a ton of work. It's going to take a ton of focus and sacrifice and money and and effort and energy. But I'll tell you, it is worth it. You know, it, it's worth trying because that is a life changing amount of money. And I hope, uh, you know, I know you don't ever take that for granted, but that is just an absolute no, sure. amazing amount of money. $58,000 on one deal. How long, just out of curiosity, did that deal? And by the way, guys, we have the HUD. So this is not just some, you know, guy who's calling in who we don't know. Not only do I know Jason, but we actually have a copy of that HUD and uh, we vetted that deal. And that is amazing, amazing amount of money. How long from start to finish, from the time that deal got into your pipeline to the time you collected that check, what was the overall turnaround time on that? Because I know the homeowner had to stay for a while, right? Yeah, it, it was about uh, five weeks. That's five weeks, 58,000. Where's my, where's my calculator? I mean, I just want to I just want to do this just for anyone who's driving right now who has a weekly income. That's 58000 divided by five weeks. That's $11,600 a week. Now, you have marketing expenses. Obviously, you have to pay. I'm sure the acquisition manager, you have to keep the office lights on. You have to pay for your drivers. But that is really, that's amazing. I mean, that's a great amount of money to gross on one deal life-changing. So you sold that deal. Okay. Now I want to talk about a deal that you actually decided to keep and not sell. I know you've kind of told me you have about six stores right now of just complete rockstar properties. Is that right? Yep. That's, and that's one of the beautiful parts of wholesaling, kind of exactly how you've taught it from the start, which is when you're wholesaling, not only are you creating an incredible business and providing a great service to people, you also are creating a funnel of fantastic properties that if you'd like, you can choose to cherry pick. So that's exactly what I do. I cherry pick my favorite flips and my favorite few rentals of all of those properties to be able to keep and work with each year. I want to um, just. So this was one that I chose to cherry pick as a rental. Uh, yeah, and I, I want to double down on that, guys, because that is truly the power of wholesaling is cherry picking these sweetheart deals that you get to keep in your rental portfolio. And one thing that I've learned from Robert Kiyosaki is 
those are little tiny seeds. It's kind of like a garden. And what, like for instance, Julie and I are doing right this moment as we speak, we are literally taking one of our small rentals that we bought uh, many years ago. And we were able to uh, purchase that property from our wholesale pipeline, which was a great property. I I won't mark these numbers exactly, but I believe we paid $21,000 for the property. We sold it for, we we bought it for $21,000. We put about $4,000 into it to get it rent ready. And we then are now selling that property for, I believe, $98,000. And we're 1031 exchanging. If you don't know what that means, don't even worry about it. I let all the lawyers in it and all the title companies take care of it. But what that basically means is when the property sells, I don't touch the money. I don't pay tax on the money. So it's just a pure $98,000 and the house was free and clear. So there's no money that comes out. And now what we're doing is growing our portfolio in, a, in another state where North Carolina, where we visit a lot, and we are growing our rental portfolio in that state. And we're buying another property, a bigger, better three bedroom, two bathroom home that is much more expensive. We'll rent for more money. So these are like little seeds. So it's not just that you can acquire these properties, but then you could, you have these little tiny, it's like a garden that just keeps growing. It's amazing. And you can do that by starting with wholesaling is, is a great way. Every great deal, whether you're Donald Trump, Robert Kiyosaki, or I don't know who, who is the guy on in the eighties on television who used to talk about no money down, right? The whole key to all of this is no matter who you are, wholesaling, finding a deeply discounted property is the best way to start no matter what kind of deal, even if it's land or mobile home parks or, or whatever, even commercial and apartment building. So anyway, I just wanted to double down on that, Jason, because it's so important. So you have six deals that are you're keeping phenomenal. I love it. How much are you actually putting, like netting in your pocket per month? I, I think you said around 10000 Is that right? Uh, correct. Yeah, that's insane, guys. That's $120,000 in his pocket. So then you get that and then you have to pay taxes on that profit? Yes, but a lot of that profit and those taxes are compensated for in what's called depreciation. Got it. Uh, which, again, talk to a tax person to get into the specifics of. But that isn't it. So I do the wholesale aspect and the real estate aspect. And the thing I like about the real estate aspect is it helps me out a lot with the taxes where with just wholesaling, there's definitely it's where it's more transactional. The, the amount of taxes can be higher. And I will tell you that Julie and I are big spenders. We have five children and we like to go out and I do really nice things. There you go. I didn't know. Well, there you go. Do all of yours start with the letter L like Logan, Lacey, Lily, Lucas, and Levi? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. So, well, congratulations on five. But the thing is, is that what I love about the real estate is not only are there so many tax benefits of buying and holding these properties, but there's also, it locks your money up. So if you like to go out to nice restaurants and you like to spend money and you like to do nice things, what is really good about real estate is you can buy these properties. if If you do well enough wholesaling and you make enough cash, you can buy these properties low. You can put a lot down or buy them free and clear for all cash. And then the money is locked up and it's put away and it's gaining equity and it's great. It's a great way to do it. So it locks the money up. It keeps it from your hands. And for me, sometimes holding money could be like holding water. So it's it's a good thing for Julie and I to keep it yeah, locked up. <laughs> I we, love it. We love it. It's, it's great all the way around. One thing I would highly suggest is Robert Kiyosaki's game that you can play online cash flow. Yeah. Uh, it teaches great principles in this regard. I think you and I have in common that we we like a little bit lower leverage than maybe 
a, a lot of people will choose to play the cash flow game with higher leverage. Right. But the principles behind the game cash flow are still fantastic and still had a huge part into my starting and getting getting into this. And it teaches a lot of the principles of real estate investing and getting out of the rat race. I love it. And my daughter, my 11-year-old, who was 10 when she started playing, is now 11. Uh, Lacey, she loves it. It's a great game, cash flow. It's a great board game too. sounds like you can play it online. And and I agree. I don't really like a lot of debt. So I try to keep my profile as low, as low, as low as possible. But buying these things and holding them, you know, the one thing I will tell you, Jason and I are both in, in a mastermind together and I am in multiple other masterminds and I know Jason is as well. And I will tell you this, the one constant, the one thing that I can share that I've learned of a general principle of Everything that I've learned from all of these men and women from all different walks of life who've all been in the game for a longer time or a shorter time, the one constant that I can tell you is you make your money in real estate when you hold. Not when you buy, not when you sell, it's when you hold. All of the men and women who have come before us, who who have really just gone to the moon and further, they held their real estate. As a matter of fact, just, and I know we're going off script here, but somebody I know very well, you and I both know, uh, he once told me, this is a very wealthy individual, his name is Michael Jake. He actually yeah. once, yeah, so he told my brother, Todd Toback actually, so I heard this secondhand, which is he's actually in some instances paid almost retail for some of his properties, the retail price. But because he, he bought and he held, he made a fortune. So he's made, he's done very, very well. And he's been the personal coach to Brent Daniels. And every conversation I've had with him, which have just been a few, he's a rock star into cars. He's got the lifestyle everybody wants and he knows what he's doing. But yeah, one thing I could share on this episode is if you want to know the secret to becoming wealthy in real estate, you make money in real estate when you hold. So anyway, yeah, I shouldn't be doing all the talking. You're the guest. So go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. You're full of wisdom. One book that I feel like breaks that down incredibly well. We all know Gary Keller for the one thing. He wrote another book called The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. Yep. I have it right Uh, on my shelf right behind me. I love it. And he breaks down the power of holding, you know, and even all of the terms that he uses a bunch of examples on homes that you can buy and, you know, what happens as you hold on to them over time. And I mean, like in in his examples, he's paying like 80% of retail and refinancing at like seven or eight percent, like he he's not doing it with fantastic terms. If you have a if you have a wholesaling machine, you can do significantly better terms than him. But in that book, he does a great job at laying out the potential of holding. I sure. I love it. Holding is where it's at. It's a little tiny, yeah, guarded. And I could go into that topic for hours. So let's not do that. Let's get back on track. So this second deal that we're gonna discuss, and by the way, I can hear my little Levi is awake and he's knocking on my office door. So I apologize for the background noise. I'm hiding out in my car. (laughs) (laughs) But on our break, my kids were making a bunch of noise too. That's another thing you and I share in common. We do all this from our homes and I wouldn't wouldn't change it any other way. I have an office that I'll let other people and my staff go to. I don't. I love working from home. Brother, I am with you a thousand percent. People are like, I'll come to your office. I'm like, "Ah, let's go to First Watch and have breakfast. (laughs) 10 o'clock. Sounds good to me. All right. So the second deal, number one is you ended up keeping it. Tell us about the deal. I want to know how did you find it? That's that's first and foremost. Yep. So this was a a pay-per-click lead. Okay. Pay-per-click PPC. Do you use a service for PPC? I do. So I actually have a virtual assistant uh, in India run my pay-per-click. Got it. Um, okay. And I found the virtual assistant through a website called Upwork. That's one thing about me. I love virtual assistants. I have 
a, a pretty good sized team of virtual assistants. And I, you know, you talk about Bill Gates says that he was accused of for every problem in the world trying to solve it with technology. I try to solve every problem in the world with a VA. Um, <laughs> we are more similar than I can. I, first, every a long time listeners to the show, you guys all know Lorena. She will be at the next summit, October 2020 in Orlando. We're going to fly her down, her and her family again for this for another one in the Philippines. She, she was my second, my first hire. Second person in the company, my first hire, and she's been with me ever since. And every time I have a problem, I'm like, Lorena, can you get me a VA to make this graph? Can you get me a VA to do this transcription of the podcast? She's great. So I I agree. I I will say we use – my PPC guy is Tim. If you guys are interested in PPC, I'll put a link to Tim's site. There is a waiting list. He does my own personal PPC. He's a total rock star. So I will put a link in the show notes for Tim. If anyone's interested, there's a waiting list for him, but it's worth it to get on the waiting list because I think uh, Tim is the best. And what I like about him is he's super, super, super affordable, probably like your VA. So this came through PPC. PPC means when you go to a Google search, like I want to sell my house, there's an ad that pops up on the page that says, hey, I buy houses, uh, click here, right? That's what we're talking about. Yep. Okay. And actually, maybe maybe let me add on PPC for just one second. People have asked me before, hey, if you had it all to do over again and you were starting from scratch, what would you do different? Right. So my answer back initially is, well, that depends entirely you know, on where I am, et cetera. But if I were in a smaller market, like something, a, a market under like a million, 1.5 million that wasn't too crazy competitive, okay. my, my entire first business model would be pay-per-click, be perfect on answering the phone, answer it yourself, go to the appointment, and close that seller. PPC yeah. generates by far the least amount of noise. It generates a fantastic return. I love pay-per-click. And if that would be, if I was in a smaller market like that, that would be where I would start if I had it to do all over again. You know, I, what I like about PPC is that it's the conversion rate. So it's kind of like our Facebook ads. Yep. When they call, they are smoking hot leads and they are ready to close. The thing about them, and you already highlighted, and I totally agree, Jason, is response rate. You absolutely must either have that phone yeah. ring directly to your cell phone or you have to call them back immediately because the, the seller is actively looking to sell their home. And if you don't pick up, they will go to the next ad in three yep. seconds. So, yeah. And your competition's a half an inch away. Right. With, with pay-per-click. <laughs> Literally, here I have this <laughs> so, on the monitor. I love it. So I, lo- I love it because it's much less noise. I love direct mail. I love cold calling. But the amount of work and effort and energy that goes into generating a lead is a lot higher than pay-per-click. But you have to make sure that your net is ready if you're doing pay-per-click. Like walk out of a movie, walk out of dinner. That phone call gets answered no matter what. I love it. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Okay, so So, you do the PPC, you get in front of the seller or your acquisition manager does. What I really want to get into with this deal is why did you decide to keep it? And and I think one of the things I'd like to touch on in that is why was the seller selling? Because typically the deals that I keep are nicer homes in nicer areas. Is that true with this home? Yeah, you and I share share that in common as well. Um, So by the way, you have been a huge influencer of my real estate career. I listen, when, when I was early and young, I listened to every podcast, every everything. So I think the reason why you and I have so much in common is because I've never been one for getting creative. I pick a mentor. I find somebody that's like, hey, I want to do what they're doing. And I do exactly what they say and what they do to get the same results. They, they call it like the franchise model, right? Like the best people to run McDonald's are farmers, not MBA guys, because they just 
work the model. So I, I've kind of always been that guy. So I think that's the reason why we're super similar is because I listened to all your stuff and then just 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 did it and didn't ask questions. Bam. If that makes sense. Bam. Jason, I am honored and humble. Thank you. I'm I'm honored to just have even been a small part of your journey. So thank thank you for saying that. That's really sweet of you. But very cool, man. You're you're a rock yeah. star. So yeah, so how did you so decide get, getting back into it? Okay. So first off, I'll talk about the seller and their situation and the home, and then I'll tell you why I decided. So this this was a home in a much nicer neighborhood. Every other home on the street was perfect, well-kept, manicured. It was built in 1997, about 3,000 square feet. And this was the one massive eyesore in the neighborhood. This poor, sweet seller went through a divorce about seven years beforehand, and it just ruined her. Her and her son lived there, and just she went into a deep state of depression and just couldn't break out of it. And I mean, to the tune of, I think two years before I bought it was the last time they took the garbage out. Like they never came out. Yeah. The dogs did everything inside the house. And this is again, every other street, this is this is up on the hill, nice neighborhood. Yards dead. You could literally see the stars from inside the house. So it would rain into the house onto tarps, and then they would tarp it out the back of the house. Got it, it was it was so sad. And so she finally was at a point where she had had a friend who said, Hey, come and move in with me and you know, and let's get it figured out. And so she was finally ready to sell. And that was why she did it. I actually had to buy the house completely blind because she was so embarrassed by the state that it was in. She said, Hey, you can buy it, but just so you know, you can't see it. And so I told her, okay, just so you know, I have a checklist of everything that could be wrong with a house. And I'm going to check all the boxes because I haven't seen it and make an offer accordingly. And she said, that's fine. I don't care. I just don't want you to see it. You know, if so anyone, if, if you're just listening now and you're, you are getting started in wholesaling and you're kind of like, Hey, why would sellers exchange a low price in exchange for convenience and in exchange for speed? Listen to what Jason's saying because these are the people that who are out there in the community. Look, guys, most people don't want to sell their home. Most homeowners don't want to sell their home and the homeowners who do don't want your low price. But there are people out there who have a problem. They want to deal with one person. They don't want to do showings. They don't want to deal with multiple people coming through. These are the sellers that you can really help with this model. So it's it's interesting to hear this because this is a very common tale that you hear from wholesalers who are dealing with homeowners who are introverted. They've made a series of bad decisions for a long time or they haven't dealt with a problem that started as a small problem, like probably a little drip in the roof that is now a gaping hole. And this is what we're dealing with as wholesalers. So very, very typical. And go ahead. I, I won't interrupt you. Yeah. So and kind of on that note, realize that, you know, don't pigeonhole who you think would choose our option. I have purchased recently homes from accountants, attorneys, Fortune 500 CEOs, grandmas, divorce ladies, like everywhere. Because in the end, and everybody had, and uh, other realtors, other real estate investors, people all have their own reasons for why they are choosing convenience over price. And as you say all the time, always assume motivation and don't assume that just because you're talking to a guy who's attorney or who's a realtor who would have other options available to him doesn't mean that they're not willing to take our option because for them, the convenience is worth it. 
You obviously listen to the podcast. Guys, assume motivation. Anyone who calls you or reaches out on a 30 cents postcard, they are motivated until proven otherwise. Don't wait for the sellers to convince you that they are motivated to sell quickly at a low price. Assume that they are and and be proven wrong. That is the way to do it. I love it. Very great reminder, Jason. Thank you. Very cool. So so we purchased the home. Uh, We bought it for $187,000. They and then we let them stay for a couple of months after that because they didn't want us to see the home until they had gotten a lot of their stuff out and gotten it cleaned up to a point. I think so we did, still. I just want to say this is something that gives us a huge advantage. This is happening. I would and this is a guess, but I would say in about twenty to twenty-five percent of our homes, the homeowner after we buy the home is staying in the home and they mm-hmm. have some cash. So we we hold a little bit of cash back with the title company in escrow. But this is a major advantage that we offer the marketplace is that we can allow the homeowners to stay in the property after the closing and get with your real estate attorney, make sure that you have the right insurances in place and the right uh, legal paperwork to make sure that they don't can't just stay indefinitely. Um, And it should just be a short term, two weeks, three months, something like that. That shouldn't be a year long, but really, really interesting that I just wanted to point that out. That's a major benefit that wholesalers have in the marketplace. I agree. So yeah, after we purchased it, I let them stay there for a while. So we, it was still, even after they got their stuff out, it wound up being, I think, four 30-yard dumpsters of additional materials to be taken out. It wound up being about a $45,000 rehab. Got it. And then, um, so it came time to list it for sale. And I walked through it and I was like, I can't sell this house. Like, this, this house, it, it's pretty close to me, so I was pretty involved in the remodel process. It was a big remodel. I really like this seller, and I just had gotten pretty emotionally connected to this property, and it's an overall really good good asset, good property. Another thing for me is they, they have plans to extend a ski resort to be about a couple streets away from this house, bring a gondola down to a couple streets away from this house in the next couple of years. Got it. And so I decided, you know what? I'm going to make this into an Airbnb and it should do well for the next couple of years. And at the point that that gondola comes in, this could be one of those home runs. So this, I want to, I'm glad you brought that up because I know of your six doors, you said you're making 10 K a month. That sounds a little high to me, right? So I'm like, oh man, that is amazing. But one of the reasons you just stated is because you're actually doing Airbnb on half of them on three of them. Is that right? Yep. And that's where the vast majority of the money is coming in is in the free Airbnbs. Absolutely. I have no doubt about that. Very, very cool. Okay. So you decided to keep the property. I have one question for you about this property before we let it go, because everyone listening is probably thinking this. Where the heck did you get the $187,000 to buy the property and the $45,000 to rehab it? Where is that your own personal money? So same thing. I used a private money lender and then I used my own cash for the rehabs and part of the down. Because again, I, I have the cash and I prefer the low leverage, low interest rate option. There, there were options available that would do all of the purchase price and all of the rehabs. Or I know there's a lot of national lenders that will have you put 10% down and then they will fund the rest of the purchase price and all of the rehabs and draws. But me personally, I chose to fund the rehabs on my own and do part of the purchase price. Let me ask you this question. What is the home worth today and what do you owe great, on the home? Great great question. Okay, so it came time to refinance it. And so this is this, this is something that I would highly suggest to everybody here. So a lot of your local banks and local credit unions 
have the ability to keep loans on their books. So there's two different things that will happen with loans. One, they'll be sold on the secondary market, or two, the bank will keep them. The vast, vast, vast majority of loans are sold on the secondary market. This is where you're there. Uh, and these are homes that are insured by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD, things like that. So if you can get relationships with your local credit unions and local banks, you can do some pretty cool things with financing. So this is what I did on this house. I had a local credit union who I did a refi with. So we had it appraised. It appraised at 370. So I purchased it for 187 and it appraised for 370. That's amazing. And, and basically, when you say refi, I just want to go into that a little bit. So um, a, another friend, Mark from CG, he taught me this. He said, go to a local bank, which I did. Yep. I got to talk directly to the president of the bank, which I didn't even know was possible um, because all this bank stuff is very, very complicated to me. I don't really understand it. I don't know how it works. But he told me, he said, Tom, go to your local bank. Do not go to a big name bank because that was the first mistake I did. Made. Correct. Right. So I, I went there. I met with the president and he said, I want you to use this term. Say, tell them that you're very fee sensitive. So I told him that. He gave me a great uh, – at that time, it was actually a HELOC that I used on my personal primary home to buy a piece of real estate um, that I, I kept or I think I kept it on that one. I don't remember. But I just want you guys to know – that Jason used the term refi. It just basically means that he had borrowed money to do buy this home and rehab it. And then he just went to a bank and essentially said, I want to get a loan. And I'm assuming that what you did is you paid yourself back the 45000 and you paid yourself back. You, you paid the lender back and then you kept the refi against the property, kind of like a mortgage. And now you're netting money from what you owe the bank to what the renter is paying or the Airbnb person is paying. Yep, that's exactly it. Okay. So I, I chose, so because it appraised for so high, I chose the 75% option, which had me at basically one origination point and then my interest rate on this. And this is this was fantastic. 3.625%. Okay, so this is uh, a little bit over my head. So I just want to break this down. So and, and just quickly, what we want to do is we want to say, okay, so you you borrowed some money to buy the home and you used some money to rehab it. And then you went to the bank and they charged you, they gave you 75% of what the home appraised for, which was 300 and something thousand. So they gave you yep, 75% of that money. Okay, and so they gave you seventy five percent of three seventy. Oh, then, sorry. So yeah, uh, which wound up being two seventy seven, basically. Okay, so you got a loan for two seventy seven, which means that you paid back all the money you owned, and then did you keep the rest of the cash, or what did you do with that? Because it sounds like that would be more than what you yep. put into. So I I did wind up walking with about roughly twenty thousand. So let me get this straight. You put twenty k in your pocket. You cash flow on the property, and you that's incredible. You guys, this yeah, is the that, power that of That only comes because of wholesaling. You don't get to do that when you're looking on the MLS <laughs> and, I, and, just, and just finding a house like that to buy. That, that's a privilege that was granted because of wholesaling. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Wholesaling is the best. It is difficult and it is hard work and it is worth it. So uh, very, so very one, cool. One other thing I want to mention on that specific loan. So because the bank chooses to keep it on their sheets, it doesn't report. So most people are limited to 10 rental loans, right? Okay. So on your, on your credit, you're only allowed to have 10 rental loans. So when you work with these local banks and credit unions, some of them, including this one, will have products that don't count as one of your 10 and doesn't show up on your credit. And so it doesn't affect your debt to income ratio and, uh, and isn't counting up towards your 10. I love it. Good to know. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. All right. So I 
want to ask you one last question, which is this. People who are just getting started, and I know you're a rhino and you know all of that, but outside of getting training from us, is there anything that you have done in your life that when you were starting that you would say, Tom, if I'm talking to a new real estate investor now or somebody who wants to get started, what are like just quickly one or two or three things, a book, a resource, something that you did that would really help them kind of just take some massive and perfect action and get the ball rolling? Yeah. So read books is definitely number one. And this is something you do a great job at teaching. So some of the initial books that had the biggest impact on me, well, and I actually, I won't say some of the initial books. After after having read all the books I've read, some of the ones that I would consider to be the most important. So I, I realized early, read books to build skills more than, if you're reading books to build skills, it's different than reading books for the sake of reading books. Correct. Um, and so yeah. early on, I figured out, okay, well, what are the skills that I need in order to be the most effective, you know, to, to be who I want to be? And I, I came down to, if I can get perfect at setting goals, habits, and hiring, then th- those are the three skills that would help me the most. And so for goals, my absolute favorite book is Living Your Best Year Ever by Darren Hardy. Yeah. Uh, it's a workbook, and it shows you everything you need to do to set your goals there. For habits, Definitely the best one is Atomic Habits Absolutely. by James Clear. Yep. And then for hiring, my favorite one was uh, Who the A Method of Hiring. Oh, okay. Um, who the A Method? Yep. Who the A Method of Hiring. It's written by – it's a family. It's the son of the guy that did top grading. So this family's whole life, multi-generation, has been nothing about – nothing but helping big companies hire. And so basically they, they have a very like systematized, franchised out, like this is exactly what you need to do to hire effectively. Because I realized my, I got into this from the start to build a company to where all of the pieces could happen without me having to do any of them. Right. And so I realized if I was going to, if I was going to do that, I needed to be able to skilled, not just luck, bring the right people onto the team. And then my favorite book for managing the team would be the four disciplines of execution. Yeah, that's a great book. We met him, the author, you and I, right? Didn't we? In um, I I joined the very next CG after that. I would yeah. have loved to have met him. Chris, right? Something Chris McDonald. um McChesney. McChesney, yeah, great guy, sweetheart, yeah. and uh, in fact, that was my first presentation at CG was on the four disciplines of execution. And then when I was done, everyone was like, "You realize the last meeting we literally heard from the author?" And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that would have been good to know." <laughs> good meeting too. That well, you could get. I well, let me say this, guys. I totally agree with Jason. No joke. There is when you when it comes to the one percent of the one percent, there are all different types of nationalities and uh, gender and ages and industries and everything. But there is one common thread. They all read. Not some of them. All of them. One hundred percent of the top one percent, the richest of the richest, the wealthiest of the wealthiest. They all read. As uh, Jason was talking about his books, which we're going to put in the show notes, I will link to all those books. I'm going to buy Who the A Method right now as soon as we end this podcast because I've never heard of that. It sounds great. Right. I have something called The Shelf, which is it always is with me. It's my favorite books, Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity, The Obstacles, The Way by Ryan Holiday, The War of Art. Oh man, Game Changer. That is was recommended to me by Robert Helms. Rhinoceros Success by Scott Alexander. The One Thing, we talked about that already, Jason, by Gary Keller. The Richest Man in Babylon. Oh, classic. Oh, that, that, that book is what started me. There you go. Uh, in real estate because the, – so the principle behind The Richest Man in Babylon is 
10% of all you make is yours to keep. Yes. And then you need to make sure that you can take that 10% and grow it. And I realized I was in college that I read the book and it was like, I only know how to trade for glass, right? Like the idea of keeping 10% of all I made and then just throwing it in the stock market and hoping it worked out. I was like, so I, I literally made it my goal for life. I am going to figure out how to get a good, solid, consistent return on my 10% of all I make that's going to be mine to keep. So I agree 100% on Richest Man in Babylon. That was one of my early books. I love it. And then uh, the last three that are on my uh, shelf, you already named one of them. I have The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer, uh, Atomic Habits, James Clear, and then Business Secrets from the Bible. Uh, that's by uh, Daniel Lappin. Every single book by Ryan Holiday and Daniel Lappin, you should read. I'm, if, you're, if you're a listener of the show, I would suggest that those books will change your life. But yeah, th- that's and then Victor Frankel, Man's Search for Meaning. Those are my my top mm-hmm. ten or so. That they're they're right there on the the main part of my shelf. I have a lot of great books, but the, I I'm agreeing with you, man. Jason, I can tell you, reading will change your life. It creates your strongest your brain into one of your strongest muscles. Um, it's a game changer. So I have got to go on board a new Wholesaling Inc. employee right now. So I'm really excited about that. Thank you for doing this show, Jason. It's been an honor. And you are a wealth of information. Can I have you back on the show? You bet. All right, Thank man. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It was worth it. It was worth all the internet problems that we had. You're a rock star. Thanks again, brother. Yeah, thank you. All right. Enjoy the day. God bless. Bye-bye. That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation over at InvestorGrit.com by joining the mailing list, as well as get your chance to book a strategy session to learn the systems and become part of the tribe with your hosts, Tom Kroll and Cody Hoffheim. We'll see you next episode with more ways to make you a fortune in wholesaling.